You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Hello, and welcome to Washington Post Live. My name is Missy Ryan, national security reporter with the Washington Post, and I'm thrilled to be joined here today by Sweden's ambassador to the United States, Karen Olafsdotter. Madam Ambassador, welcome to Washington Post Live. Well, thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for speaking with us at such an important moment for Europe and for Sweden in particular. Let's get started by addressing the changing security situation in Europe following Russia's invasion of Ukraine. I know that the Swedish government has said it may abandon its long-held policy of military neutrality and join the NATO alliance, possibly alongside Finland. And I've seen that recent polling shows that support is growing among Swedes for such a step. Can you tell us how the conflict in Ukraine is changing Swedes' view of NATO membership? Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for that question. And really, as I said, thank you for, for, for being interested in my country. Uh, so uh, first, a small correction, and I, uh, it's not me being uh, you know, picky here, but we have actually, uh, we, we scrapped neutrality when we joined the European Union in 1995. So we have been militarily non-aligned and, and neutral until, until we joined, joined the European Union. And since then, we have just been military non-aligned. So we're not neutral. And I think that's very important because we have taken part in, you know, every crisis management operation that NATO has had uh, since the fall of the Soviet uh, Union. We have, you know, been strong partners in the United Nations, uh, taking part in so many of their peacekeeping operations and, and so on. So, so, and we have a military force to reckon with. We have, of course, you know, living where we live uh, in our neighborhood, we have seen uh, an increased tension in our region, uh, starting out already, I would say, 2008, uh, attack on Georgia. We've seen hybrid and cyber attacks from Russia coming on to, to us and to others. And of course, uh, Crimea in 2014, uh, that was very serious. And that's also when we took decisions. We had already taken decisions to sharpen our defense. But that uh, we took a big de- decision then to really increase our defense spending. Uh, but the brutality of the attack on a sovereign, uh, democratic state in our neighborhood, uh, totally unprovoked, has of course, in a way you can say it's a watershed moment. So 24th of February uh, changed a lot. And we realized that we have to have a new discussion on our security architecture. Finland decided the same. So uh, there are parallel discussions in our countries on on what kind of security arrangements should we have going forward. We have not taken a formal decision yet in my country, but uh, NATO joining NATO is one of the options, of course, being discussed. And I think we somehow hoped uh, that uh, Russia wouldn't take this you know, avenue and 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 and, and invade a fellow brother country so to speak, which the Russians themselves have talked about always, that uh, the Ukrainians are their brothers, that uh, this would not happen and this was not a reality, but unfortunately it is. And that's why we really need to, you know, um, look into our own security architecture. Yeah, I'd like to talk a little bit about the, the procedures and the steps that will be involved. I understand that the Swedish parliament is going to be presenting a report in mid-May on uh, security and that the the ruling Social Democrat Party will um, have its own internal debates um, around NATO membership. Do you think that this is something that could, if there is a decision to join NATO, be completed 
um, in the in the next few weeks and months before the uh, there's a June 29th NATO summit. And I think there's a lot of talk that maybe Finland and Sweden could cement their membership by that time. Hmm. So, uh, as you rightly cr noted, we have uh, an internal uh, discussion. So it's a discussion led by uh, the foreign minister of Sweden, together with the minister of defense, and all our eight uh, parliament, uh, political parties represented in parliament are part of that discussion. So a report coming out of the discussions they have had will be presented on the 13th of May. And after that uh, decision will be made on, on whether we stay the way we are or if we, we decide to join NATO. And it's quite in sync with the discussion and the decisions uh, coming out of Finland. And so if we decide to join, which I want to underline is not decided yet, but if we want decide to join, we uh, I think we will uh, quite swiftly uh, approach NATO and uh, do the procedures we need to do with the organization. To, to send in our application, so to speak. And as we have understood, then NATO has to take a decision on inviting us as members. And then uh, all national parliaments or whatever procedure you have in the various uh, 30 member states will have to take a decision, a sovereign decision on, uh, on, our, on our membership. So in the United States, and I've had several discussions with uh, senators, uh, Armed Forces Committee and Foreign Relations Committee and others, also now when my foreign minister was here for a couple of days, on how this, what would it look like and how fast could it be? Because, you know, we realize that we, we come into quite dangerous time, we believe, uh, in, if we decide to join and until we are full members, uh, of course, we are not uh, encompassed by uh, the security guarantees uh, that you get as a full member. But we would like to have some kind of cooperation. We're, you know, increasing our own security during this time, uh, really raising our, our uh, readiness and so on. We have already done that. Uh, but we see this as a time when we could be more vulnerable. So our hope is that particularly the US Senate could be speedy. And there are procedures uh, that has to be followed, of course, because it's a, it's a treaty that you will have to, to ratify. Uh, but my hope, uh, and this is really my hope, is that it could be done before the Senate goes on recess in August. Because the reason for this is that we want to diminish uh, the time uh, that we are in a vulnerable state if we should decide to join. And also the United States is, you know, extremely important for us and for, for all European countries when it comes to transatlantic security. And a strong message out of your Senate, uh, you know, welcoming Sweden and Finland would of course send a very clear message uh, to the Kremlin, but also to, to the other member states that the United States really stands behind uh, the open door uh, policy of NATO and, and, you know, wanting us as new members. So. Um, if there are anyone in the Senate uh, watching right now, uh, I can assure you, uh, you will see me uh, and my Finnish colleague uh, walking the halls of the Senate if we decide to join. Well, I'm so glad that you talked about this potentially uh, vulnerable period between a decision by Finland and Sweden to apply for NATO membership and the actual accession when, as you say, a security guarantee would apply. And I just want to ask you a little bit about the context for why that is vulnerable. And that is Russia's threats uh, uh, to countries that are looking to join NATO. And the Russian government has issued threats already 
um, regarding the potential accession of Finland and Sweden, including potentially positioning nuclear weapons in the Baltic regions, potentially in Kaliningrad. Can you tell us a little bit more about how Sweden views those threats? Yes, I mean, it's been known for a long time uh, that the, the Russian administration uh, is not in, I mean, has been very negative and uh, yes, absolutely negative to Finland and Sweden or other countries, you know, the enlargement of NATO. So, so that's not new in a sense. But since uh, since um, there, the discussions have been, you know, starting in our in our countries, uh, and also one of the reasons for them attacking Ukraine was, you know, the possibility of the discussions on on Ukraine coming closer to NATO. So, of course, we have seen this in real life playing out in in, in the Ukraine, of course, but also we've heard about military technical interventions or however it's phrased uh, from from the Kremlin uh, if we should decide to join. But it is really, and I really want to underline this, it is every country's sovereign decision on how we design our own security. Uh, that is not for other countries uh, to, 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 to decide upon. Of course, uh, when it comes to joining NATO, it's up to the member states of NATO to decide if we should be members or not, but it's our own decision to decide if we should join the alliance or not. And uh, the Russians don't have anything to do with that. That is really our sovereign decision. So yes, we can be threatened, uh, but we are prepared. You know, we have already a strong defense. Uh, we are building it up even more. As I said earlier, we are going on um, for 2% um, uh, defense spending uh, as soon as we can make that happen. Uh, we have already strengthened our readiness uh, since the fall because we have, of course, seen the writing on the wall just like everyone else. And uh, as we are saying, we are aware of the threats, but we are also prepared. Uh, so it is futile, we believe, to to make those threats, and it's um, you know it's against everything that we've all agreed upon uh, when it comes to European uh, security architecture. And earlier this week, Sweden said it would summon the Russian ambassador to Sweden uh, following the uh, a maneuver by a Russian spy plane violating Swedish and Danish airspace. Can you tell us a little bit more about this incident, and do you see this as part of the campaign? by Russia to try to dissuade Sweden from joining NATO. Yes, uh, yes. I mean, our uh, airspace is violated from time to time uh, and not always uh, only by the Russians. <laughs> They're actually friendlier countries violating our airspace from time to time as well. Uh, so, uh, but of course, uh, uh, this is very serious. We take it very seriously. And uh, when the Finnish and Swedish defense ministers, I believe it was, visited Gotland uh, just recently, um, uh, the Russians trespassed our, uh, our uh, airspace. And then our fighter planes went up and uh, escorted them out of our airspace. Uh, so, of course, we see this as serious and we don't see it as incidentally either. Yeah, and just for our viewers, Gotland being the strategic island that um, you know is seen as a potentially gateway to the to the Baltic. Um, yes. Let me ask you just one more question on NATO membership, and I think it's a really important one as we're talking about this period that may be coming up, um, the accession period. Has Sweden asked for or received any security guarantees from NATO for this period that could be coming um, between its 
application, um, the initiation initiation of its application period and accession. Na the NATO Secretary General um, Jan Stoltenberg has said that he's confident there could be some sort of mutually acceptable arrangement. But do you expect there to be any deployments of NATO forces to Sweden during that period or joint military exercises? What can you tell us about that? Yes. No, I mean, we are not asking for any guarantees in this interim period, if that should happen, uh, uh, because guarantees you can only get as a full member of the alliance. So what we are talking about is, you know, first of all, how do we uh, increase our own security? Uh, how do we, you know, raise the threshold? for military attacks uh, and other attacks as well, of course, could be cyber or hybrid or there's a disinformation campaign right now going on in Moscow, for instance. But so we will we, we ourselves are, you know, providing a heightened uh, threshold. But uh, given uh, how we view this, we have uh, asked what uh, other NATO members could do to help us out in this time to to raise the threshold. So we are not asking for guarantees. We're asking for in a way kind of or have discussed some kind of security assurances. And in that, uh, if we now should decide to apply, we would hope for political statements coming out of, of, uh, of the NATO, NATO members. We've already seen it coming from the UK and from Germany the other day. The Swedish and Finnish prime minister visited the German government, I think two days ago, and there was a strong message from from the German Chancellor on, on, on how he sees this period. Uh, and of course, we would hope for a similar one from the United States, um, you know, welcoming us and also, you know, talking a bit about the security. What one could envisage is, uh, you know, we already have a quite strong exercise program and we have been in NATO exercises uh, for a long time. We've been in partnership to NATO and now we're enhanced partner to NATO. Uh, and that's kind of as close as you can be to NATO without being a member. So, you know, we, we our military forces have been exercising with NATO forces for many, many years. We are as interoperable as you can be without being a member. Uh, we have also a strong defense industry that is also totally interoperable and, you know, all these things. So one could envisage um, that we beef up the exercise program that we already have. One could envisage um, more kind of Present, maybe navy, naval presence from vessels from NATO countries. We already have had a just a visit a month ago, I believe it was, by, by two uh, US uh, warships, things like that. Uh, so th those are the elements you could envisage. Okay, let me just squeeze in one. We have a viewer question uh, on uh, NATO that I want to squeeze in before we move on to the war in Ukraine. We have a viewer, Jack Malley from Virginia, is asking you, why was NATO not attractive to Sweden previously? Well, thank you. That's a really good question. And as I told you, um, all countries have different histories. And we have been neutral, uh, militarily non-aligned since early 19th century. Uh, before that, we had been in every perceivable war in Europe <laughs> and, and our coffers were empty. Uh, early early 18th century, 19th century. So that has been a policy of ours uh, over the First World War, the Second World War, during the Cold War. Our history is very interlinked to the history and the situation for Finland. So after the Second World War, uh, when um, uh, first there was actually a discussion on having a Nordic Defense Union. 
But then when uh, NATO was formed, our Danish and Norwegian friends decided that NATO uh, was the organization they wanted to belong to, uh, given their history uh, before. And, and, and that you, uh, it was very important that, you know, the United States uh, decided to, to, to be part of NATO. Uh, so then uh, Finland had to be uh, in this kind of friendship uh, friendship pact with the Soviet Union during the Cold War. So uh, our politicians of the time uh, deemed it, uh, you know, most useful and most important that we stayed military non-aligned and neutral to keep the tensions down in our region and also not leave Finland completely alone. So there were many reasons, uh, many reasons for this. And then, you know, the end of the Cold War came, we saw the world differently, we had other hopes for Russia, uh, of course, uh, uh, and, uh, you know, Russia is, uh, we've always worked with the Russian population, we have a very close relationship, but the way the policies have been formed, you know, the last 10, 20 years, of course, we have seen a Russia evolving that we were not hoping for. So, uh, given that, and now when we have seen uh, how and experienced how uh, a country like Russia with its uh, military force and its nuclear arsenal has attacked a sovereign, democratic, independent country for no reason. Uh, of course, things change for us. We see our own situation differently then. So that is why uh, we were, of course, as everyone else, hoping that this would never happen, that the development that we see in the Ukraine would never happen, but now it has. And that has really changed things for us because we have seen what our big neighbor can do. Uh, and of course, it puts our situation totally differently, you know. Um, and also we think that, you know, given our defense forces, we will be a contribution to NATO. Uh, we have very modern, very well exercised, uh, militarily savvy uh, armed forces. We are a democracy, uh, a stable democracy, fighting for human rights uh, all over the world. Uh, we are also, you know, uh, geographically located where we are. Uh, and we have been in every NATO operation, as I said, and we are interoperable with NATO. So we have shown our solidarity to, to the Alliance and to our neighbors for so long time. So given that things have changed and we have seen a Russia that we hoped we would never see, um, this has made us really reflect on what would be the best for Swedish security and how can we contribute best to the security of the region. So, so that's the reason why now and not before. Long answer, right. but it's important yeah, to get no, that Thank up. you. Thank you very much. Um, well, let's discuss the war in Ukraine um, in the, the minutes that we have left. Uh, we're now just a few days away from Russia's May 9th Victory Day, and there is a lot of speculation here in the United States, at least, that President Vladimir Putin could officially declare war on Ukraine. Um, uh, and I want to note for my readers before I ask you this question that you speak Russian and that you um, your first, first post in the Swedish Foreign Service was in Moscow. So you have a lot of contact, uh, context and expertise here. Um, do you think that that sort of declaration of war is likely? And what sort of significance do you think that would have at this stage in the conflict? Of course, it's extremely hard to, to know uh, what's going to happen on the 9th of May. Uh, I, of course, hope that this will not happen. I hope that somehow Russia will back down and we will, as soon as possible, get a, an end of this 
horrible, horrible war. So, so I really hope that the Russian uh, leadership is not taking that route, but there's nothing, I don't know if that will happen or not. Uh, I think we have all been, you know, there's kind of this joke in town that we, we didn't think, the, we thought the Russians had the capabilities, but not the intent. And they had the intent, but maybe not the capabilities we thought they had. Of course, uh, that's horrible to say, given all the horrible atrocities we have seen in Russia and how they have attacked civilian targets, you know, children's hospitals and civilians and, and really been extremely cruel. Uh, so, so this is, uh, of course, something that we never expected. So we really feel that these heinous crimes that have been committed, you know, uh, we must, uh, justice must be done in a sense. So, of course, we contribute in every way we can in uh, how to hold the Russians and the Russian leadership, I should say, accountable. And uh, this is all the initiatives taken at the ICC and uh, UN Human Rights Council and at the OSCE. So it's hard for me to speculate on what could happen. Uh, I hope it doesn't happen, uh, what you, you talked about on the 9th of May. So it is important that we all signal to the Russians that this is not acceptable, that we keep the sanctions pressure up. You know, uh, uh, further discussions in the European Union on, on oil and gas um, sanctions uh, to really try to change the behavior of the Russian leadership uh, to end the war. Sweden and, and Poland is today holding a huge donor conference in, in Poland uh, on uh, how to, uh, you know, gather even more uh, financial support for the Ukraine. That's extremely important so that we also help the Ukrainians who are heroes, really, the way they are fighting, that we continue to show them our support. Uh, we do that with the refugees coming to Sweden and, you know, all this, uh, the help we try to give. I know that this is probably a difficult question to answer, but I would love your thoughts on how you think Russia has changed since you were posted there as a diplomat. And, you know, what does this conflict tell us about what has happened to Russia in the interim period? You know, first of all, I really love Russia. Uh, I have loved living there. I've been a student there. I've been a tour guide there. I, I know I have lots of Russian friends. I love the culture, I love the people, you know, it's a fantastic country, of course. And I think when I was there in the mid 90s, it was in a way a huge transformation. I think it's easy to forget today that we were, you know, together with the Russian people, the foreign or international community was going to try to change a Russia that had been totalitarian for so long. And also, if you look back at uh, the pre-revolutionary times, that was also you know, serfdom was, you know, abolished quite late in Russia and, and I mean, there's, every country has its history, but, you know, the Soviet uh, period was something, of course, that was uh, extremely bad and uh, dictatorship and no market economy and all that. So that was going to be changed in a very short time. So together with the Russian people, uh, all of us, we tried to do that. And uh, I remember being a student in Moscow in 1991, there was basically no food. You know, I could buy, this was before the Soviet Union fell, there were apples and onions to buy in the, in, and more carrots to buy in, in you know, in, at the market. That was it. All the stores were empty and, and, and you know, you know all this. So it was a huge endeavor we were embarking on. And I was very optimistic, I must say, in the mid 90s that, you know, this would go well and, and so on. 
Then, of course, we have seen uh, a Russia that has taken a, an autocratic turn uh, with the development of the current leadership uh, in Russia. And uh, this was, of course, not at all what we were hoping for uh, in the, when the Soviet Union fell. It was a new day then, remember. And uh, Sweden, for instance, we, we dis not dismantled, but we, uh, you know, cut down on our defense, which had been, you know, during 60s and 70s, we spent 4% of our GDP, and then we went down to 2%, and then 1% one, 1%, during the 90s, which we then realized was too little. So it took a turn that we didn't, we weren't hoping for, and maybe, I don't know if we were naive, or, or it's just coincidences on how leadership develops, and so on. But of course, we are extremely sad and that, that it has taken the turn it has because, you know, Russia is a formidable country. Uh, we were hoping for something different and I still hope for that. So, so it's, it's tough times. And I really also feel with a lot of the Russian people. I want to try to squeeze in two quick final questions. Um, and uh, again, um, neither of them are easy to answer, but I would love to hear your thoughts first on um, a topic of U.S.-Swedish relations and U.S.-European relations. Obviously, um, President Biden, when he took office, promised to restore U.S. leadership to especially repair U.S.-European relations. Um, and he said, as famously, America is back. And I'm just interested to hear your thoughts on, given the events of um, the last six months and, and the U.S. role in that, uh, how do you think that has played out? Uh, do you think that that has borne out um, in what we're seeing? Yes, I mean, really, I must say, I think the U.S. leadership since this broke out has been tremendous. Uh, and I just want to tell you, Americans, those of you who are listening, you should be very proud. Uh, the way you have shared intelligence with us uh, and uh, trusted us with that, all of us, I think, in Europe has been very important. Maybe we didn't see exactly what you saw uh, was going to happen, or maybe we didn't want to believe it at the time because it's so close to, to us. But I think really want to, to thank you for that, and we are extremely grateful for that. Uh, so unfortunately, you were right and we were wrong, <laughs> in a sense. But, you know, it's fantastic to once again see how how deep and determined the United States is on a European relationship. I know, of course, that China is, you know, the overarching threat to the United States. I've seen the, how do you say, the summary of the new defense strategy, where it's clearly stated that China is the pacing threat for, for the United States, and completely understand that. Uh, but at the same time, uh, I am very happy for the strong commitment that we have been able to show together in this, how we have put together sanction packages, how we have shown, you know, solidarity together with the Ukrainian people, how uh, the United States has decided to, you know, reinforce uh, its uh, military presence in Europe uh, at this time, and really how we walk hand in hand when it comes to, to a tough policy on Russia. So I think that's that's been very good. And, um, you know, I really want to highlight that um the U, the u.s role in alleviating you know uh, the consequences of russia's invasion in ukraine so uh, i think this has shown that we can do great things together when we decide to do it 
And I'm, um, uh, you know, we Sweden has the presidency of the European Union coming up spring of 23. And for us, you know, this sounds very technical, but the uh, Trade and Technology Council that we have, you know, formed between Uni European Union and the United States is very important. And this also comes to how we handle Chinese technology and other countries' technologies that we deem not secure and how we together can work on standards. If we set the standards for new technology, for instance, that will be the world standard because we are the biggest markets in the world. So we can cooperate on so many things. So I think this is really an impetus to also strengthen our cooperation in other areas. So I'm very hopeful for that. We Madam need each other. <laughs> Absolutely. Madam Ambassador, I wish we had more time so we could continue to talk about Russia and climate change and the European economy and, all, and many more topics. Um, but unfortunately, we're out of time. We have to leave it there. Thank you so much for joining us, Ambassador Alice Dutter. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.